Welcome to the Health Leaders Finance Podcast. I'm Jack O'Brien, Finance Editor for Health Leaders. My guest today is Steve Lawler, President of the North Carolina Healthcare Association. Steve, thank you for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. Glad to be here. The ongoing outbreak of coronavirus disease 2019, also known as COVID-19, has infected over a million people worldwide, killed thousands, and disrupted the global economy on an unprecedented scale. I've been covering the spread of this virus for weeks now, particularly reporting on what it means for health system and hospital finance execs, which is where I want to start our conversation today. Steve, when you look at the COVID-19 outbreak, what are the most pressing financial and organizational challenges facing health systems during this crisis? Sure. Well, I, I, I think that's a great question. So I, I think when you think about uh, you know, hospitals and health systems and how they're built and, and put together, I think first and foremost, we're not built and put together to um, respond to a national pandemic. So even though we've got plans that date back from H1N1 to you know plans that we've used in North Carolina to react to hurricanes and, and floods, you know, the idea of kind of a long-term sustained event that essentially is asking hospitals to completely upend their typical model where, you know, we're built to to take care of folks in a variety of different settings, you know, ranging from ambulatory to acute care. And, you know, what we've done is we've asked hospitals to, to you know, completely shift that model to paying particular attention to what's going on on the front end, especially for patients that have uh, tested positive for COVID-19 and require high-end, extraordinarily intensive care. So, you know, what we've seen in the past month are, are you know, hospitals and health systems, you know, shifting from, you know, that profitable book of business that typically is, uh, you know, ambulatory or surgical based, you know, to, you know, really shoring up the the sharp end, which for COVID-19 at the emergency department, you know, these kind of entrance to acute care hospitals, and then, you know, really kind of high-end ICU care for for days upon end. So what that has done is actually, you know, kind of eroded the, uh, the dr- traditional web cycle that hospitals and health systems have depended on. And at least in North Carolina, it, it's costing about $800 million in lost revenue that traditionally would have flowed into hospitals and health systems for their traditional work based on the current model. And we've also seen an increase in expenses as people have flexed up on supplies and staff and uh, equipment. You know, we've seen an, an increase in about uh, $200,000 per month. So, you know, essentially it's a billion dollar you know, financial impact to hospitals throughout North Carolina. That's very much in line with what I've been hearing from financial consultants I've been talking to and leaders as well as it relates to the financial issues. And that's kind of what I wanted to segue into, which is when you look at some of the issues related around liquidity challenges, organizational issues, now sort of the narrative that I've started to hear is that now they're focusing on the challenges of labor as it comes to a huge right. expense for the organization. You mentioned that obviously they're not getting revenue from traditional sources. So can you kind of speak to maybe what some of those labor concerns are and as systems, particularly some of the smaller ones, face these furlough decisions, you know, what are some of the thought patterns that go into that? 
Right. Well, I mean, you know, I think right now hospitals and health systems are focusing on like three areas. So one is hardening their facility. Second is supporting their staff and understanding that, uh, you know, this is a long-term event. So resiliency, making sure that they've got the right uh, PPE and that they've got the right support structures for staff in place, really important. And then it's really kind of retooling processes to make sure that, you know, that the hospital operation supports this influx of, of, of really sick patients. Now, what small community hospitals have, have, you know, have had to do, and these are hospitals that don't have massive balance sheets. These are hospitals that, you know, that have razor thin margins. These are, you know, hospitals and health systems that, you know, have six months, three months, one month days of cash, you know, since they're committed to taking care of their patients and their community, you know, they've had to, you know, make really difficult decisions in regards to, you know, how do we tool and array our operation in a way that safeguards the sharp end, so the people that are taking care of patients. And, and at some point, it's kind of at the expense of, you know, some of the essential back office stuff that hospital CEOs are making tough decisions to say, we can, we can forego that for now because this is an all-hands-on-deck effort to take care of people, and then, you know, we'll figure it out uh, on the back end. So as an association, you know, we've been working with the federal government, working in partnership with the AHA, state government. I was on the phone with the, C the interim CEO for Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina, pushing for, you know, kind of innovative payment models where, you know, they're not based on activity-based payments where hospitals and health systems are doing things, submitting a claim, and then getting paid. You know, so we're asking that folks, you know, kind of, you know, not think in human terms, but, you know, try to keep up with the spread of the virus and to quickly come up with new alternative payment models that push cash into the door so that, you know, hospitals and health systems, you know, don't have to make difficult decisions like furloughing staff or, you know, other, you know, types of, you know, really difficult decisions that, you know, have consequences on the back end. So a lot of this is, you know, the same approaches that, you know, families that are, you know, that are facing, you know, a financial crisis or hurdle where, I mean, we've got hospitals that are calling companies that provide services and asking them to reduce their cost of service or they're retooling their service agreements to create greater financial space, or they're calling their banks and asking their banks to extend them a line of, of credit, or, you know, they're going to, you know, the financing market and to make sure that you know, those hospitals and health systems that have financial tools such as bonds and other vehicles within the financial market, you know, they're asking for, you know, some space to be able to maneuver so they can take care of their patients. And, you know, this is one of those things where we're extraordinarily grateful for the work that's taken place in Washington with the CARES Act. But the fact that they haven't figured out how to distribute those dollars and to get those dollars directly to physicians and hospitals, 
you know, we, we can't wait based on kind of Washington time. We need people to act quickly. That's an interesting point. And you brought up uh, another point that I wanted to kind of take a tangent off of, which is the um, alternative payment models and kind of looking at different ways to drive revenue and different ways to make the healthcare organization move forward. One way that's gained increased popularity through this crisis has been telehealth and kind of the popularization. Some have said that telehealth is having its moment. I'm curious your thoughts on if telehealth is having its moment, if it's sustainable and how you see its usage going in the future. So I think one of the things that will come out on the other side of, of this pandemic when, you know, we're, you know, seeing some recovery and, you know, this summer, you know, are a variety of really interesting lessons learned that we can apply going forward. I think telehealth is, is certainly one of those where, you know, we're going to realize that, you know, part of the access to care solution for rural and underserved areas, you know, is, is kind of taking advantage of technology and this platform in a way that hasn't been thought of before until this crisis. So, you know, we're going to see, I think, a real uptick in individuals that are using telehealth to deliver specialty services to small communities and, you know, from a tertiary care hospital to a community hospital. I think we're also going to see kind of this uptick in, in kind of self-care where individuals all of a sudden realize, you know, based on practice and necessity, that they can pick up their phone, they can click to an app, and then they can connect with typically an advanced level practitioner to help manage their health. So I think that's, you know, certainly a, a real advantage. And I think the other piece, and we're all dealing with, uh, in many states, these, uh, you know, shelter for, or work from home situations, is that, you know, we've got, you know, an incredible amount of of fixed infrastructure in healthcare and other places that is occupied by administrative or support staff that, you know, at some point in the future, we've, we've kind of figured out through necessity and practice that, you know, we may not need that, that, that new infrastructure or that fixed structures. We may be able, to be able to invest those dollars in, you know, something more meaningful for patients. I just have one final question here, and I really do appreciate your time and your insights here for the podcast, which is I spoke with a hospital executive this week who said that this pandemic is truly a landmark moment. And the phrase that he used was that it will create a new normal for hospitals and health systems once the virus is contained in some sort of meaningful way. I'm curious what your thoughts are on the post-pandemic world and what that will look like for provider organizations, how they'll have to act and base their business strategy going forward. Well, I, I do think it's going to create kind of a new uh, paradigm for the future. But, you know, I'm incredibly optimistic based on the, you know, heroic people that are, you know, involved in taking care of people in communities. If you look at what's going on in, in, in New York or uh, Louisiana or even here in Charlotte or in, uh, in Raleigh, and, you know, we expect to see you know, more of the same throughout the state. You know, we've got, you know, people that are, you know, unbelievable in regards to their commitment to taking care of folks and their willingness to do whatever it takes to do that. So I think in the future, I mean, one, I think coming out of the other side, I think we're going to realize that that we have to work with our elected officials in our state capitals and in our nation's capital to ensure that physicians, public health, and hospitals are properly resourced to deal with this again. 
I mean, it, this is not like if it happens again, it's going to be when it happens again. And it's likely that this is going to be kind of the new seasonal illness in addition to flu and common cold. So, you know, how we learn from what's taken place and make wise investments, I think really important. I think the second piece is, is that as the federal government flexes to invest in some additional infrastructure, being really thoughtful in regards to how we invest in rural healthcare platforms throughout the country is important. Most rural hospitals are, are built on a 1950s model Hill-Burton pl- chassis, and this is an opportunity to kind of right-size care to ensure it's designed to deliver essential services, but also to make sure that it's able to compete and survive this kind of event. And then finally, I think we'll realize that paying based on activity is not sustainable in the event of a pandemic or healthcare crisis. So looking for wiser and more thoughtful payment models that adequately support the provider community to respond, uh, I think is, is going to be an important lesson as well. But, you know, I'm really encouraged just by the kind of amazing people that we have doing this work. I mean, they're, you know, just stories of just, you know, incredibly courageous people that are going to work every day and just giving it their all. And if those are the people that you have to rely on in the future, then, you know, I've got great hope. Absolutely. Well, Steve, it's been wonderful speaking with you today, and thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. We really do appreciate it. Well, I appreciate the work that you're doing. It really is a public service as you know, you tell the story of what's going on. Thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners, too, for joining us on the Health Leaders Finance Podcast. Until next time, keep taking care of your patients and each other.